Well, today's Business Finance Friday webinar is on passive investing. And as you've heard, we've got Magnus Haystack who's going to be joining us. And uh, we've also got Lisa Siegel. So let me start by introducing Lisa. Lisa is with Gins Global Index Trackers. And uh, Gins Global Index tracking, Trackers was started by South Africans and has been phenomenally successful. Lisa, how much do you have under management currently? Perhaps you could briefly sketch out uh, how Gins Global works. Um, well, we've got three units, um, Jackie. So we've got the index tracker funds here that are approved by the FSCA, which we sell locally, and it's also approved in Mauritius. And then we've got the ETFs that we've launched about 18 months ago that's listed in four um, bourses, the LSE, Milan, Switzerland, and um, the DAX. So those are thematic ETFs. And then we've got a US business that does uh, index-linked designed annuities that we've done for AIG and ING and Zurich. And we're actually just launching two new products with two new insurances on that side. So a lot of our assets under management don't actually sit on our balance sheet. It sits on other on our clients. So we we a design firm using index tracking. So that's what okay. it would be. And yeah. And a, a huge support for your products from South Africans. Um, not enough. <laughs> we do get support, <laughs> but we would obviously like some more. Um, and our fees have come down over the years as we've, you know, obviously got bigger. And as I said, the last webinar I did, when we started this business in 2001, it's like bringing um, sushi to in the 1960s, something that was unheard of. Um, we tried to do it an altruistic way as my partner was working for a big firm and he just saw there was huge um, underperformance by the funds they were using and he was looking at index tracking and there wasn't much support, as I said, because you can't hide the fees in index tracking. Your fund and your index has to mirror each other as much as possible. The difference is only transaction fees or there's a few slight fees in there, but there's not much money in index tracking. It's a volume and scale business. So you don't charge the fees that you would on active fund management, like one and a half. There's no outperformance fee. So that's why it's a business that's meant to actually benefit the clients more than the manager. Okay. And when we, you know, for people who aren't in the industry, you know, one and a half percent doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you hear from experts that this all builds up quite quickly and the compounding can mean that even just one or two percent a year can really sort of decimate your returns. Can you perhaps just take us uh, through the whole concept of passive investing and why the, the fees are so important? You know, what is it, what is passive investing? Is it, you know, put your feet up and let the investment do the work for you? How, how does it work? It actually is more of a science. It's actually harder than active fund management because you've got a benchmark that you have to track as close as possible. And if the manage and if the index firm that you're using makes a mistake, it's very apparent because there'd be a huge difference between the index tracker and the benchmark. So index tracking is actually quite difficult to do. You have to use a firm that's got a lot of experience. Um, there's a lot of oversight in terms of how they monitor it. They have to know how to uh, use like with these dividends, interest, M&A activity, so yes, things actually can go wrong, especially in volatile markets. So you've got to use a firm that's that's been around a long time, that's had experience and knows how to deal in volatile markets. And more importantly, I said last time, there are three different types of index tracking. It's not just, you know, choose a benchmark. You've got to look at 
what what type of index tracking the manager is using. So there is optimization, which or there is um, sampling, as I said last time, and then full replication, which means that the manager has to buy all the stock that's mandated by a particular benchmark. So we actually use State Street Global Advisors on the back end um, to do the index tracking. That's a firm that's come out of a custodian bank. It's a 100-year-old custodian bank. And they've got they, their main aim in actually index tracking is minimizing risk and volatility. So it sounds like a simple way to invest, but actually the whole sort of index tracking universe has mushroomed and there's so many different choices. So uh, as you've noted, and I've got your slide up here, there are quite a few risks with index tracking as well. You can pick the wrong index for, for a start. Correct. How do you start your, your, your journey in terms of finding the right index tracker? Well, my, my advice to clients when you go offshore is to try the two takeaways that you have to look at, two main key points, is minimizing your volatility and your risk. So it means choose an index that's very diversified. So a lot of the, if you look at the active management firms, they're using the MSCI world as their benchmark to see how well their active fund management is doing. So maybe the client should look at a sort of global equity which is uh, the, which tracks the MSCI world, and that's got 1,600 stocks. It's very diversified in terms of uh, region and sector. So that's probably your most secure, and it meets the needs of less risk because you've got a bit of Europe, you've got a bit of US, you've got a bit of Japan, Asia, so you're not taking a bet on a particular country or sector. And also you've got 1,600 stocks. So if you have a fallout, say like, I don't know if you remember a long time ago, there was that Enron debacle in the US. Now that wouldn't affect the um, your index tracker so much because it's not even made up one or two percent. The index tracker in terms of the market cap or the weight of a particular stock is more capped at about two and a half to three percent. So you don't always get the upside. So if Tesla is going to run, which it's, uh, you're not going to get the upside of that um, particular stock if you were in an uh, active fund manager that has about say 5 to 10% weighting in Tesla but if Tesla falls dramatically of 30% it's not going to affect your index tracker so much because it's capped in terms of where it is in the index. Just in terms of that broad index um, couldn't it be too diversified aren't you going to get a very muted return? Uh, I, look, the, I prefer if someone hasn't gone offshore, you should take more of it. I think it's less risky and it's less volatile. So for me, the building block of most of my clients' portfolios and most of my clients' solutions is the global equity. Over and above that, if you like a core and explore or it's called a blended way of investing, then you could take an active fund manager that's contrarian to that index and would be involved in a sector that's not well represented in that index. So okay. it's a good building block to go offshore uh, for, mo for most of the portfolios. Thank you. So you're listening to Lisa Siegel. And while we're waiting for Magnus to join us, please feel free to add your questions to the chat box. We've also got a lot of questions to answer that have come into my inbox. We'll give Magnus a, another minute or two before we start taking those questions, Lisa. Um, be on call now. I'm hearing. Sorry, I think we fixed the technical is, problem. Magnus. Is Magnus back. I'm indeed Jackie and hello Lisa. Hello. Welcome Hi, Magnus. How are it's you? very nice. 
Very nice to have you with us, Magnus. So I'm sure most people know who Magnus is, but for the few who possibly don't, Magnus uh, is a former journalist who runs his own investment boutique, Brenthurst Wealth Management, uh, which has done phenomenally well. It has at least 8 billion rands of assets under management and offices in Gauteng, Western Cape, Mauritius. Um, and Magnus is also one of our popular columnists on at Biz News, and you know he's he's had an article up for days now. He's been doing very well, so he's uh, he's not shy to speak his view on a range of uh, investment-related topics. So welcome, Magnus. Thank you, Jackie, and thank you, everybody. Sorry, I'm late. No problem. So we're talking about uh, passive investing, and Lisa gave us a bit of an an introduction. But perhaps uh, Magnus, you could just share your views on passive investing. What is it, and do you use it? And do you recommend that people use it? Well, I cynically say there's no such thing as passive investing because all investment decisions is an active decision. But of course, passive investing instruments have become very popular globally and also in South Africa. And we, of course, we use them. You cannot, you cannot uh, live in a in the 19th century and say I'm not going to use index funds. They work. They're cheap. And with the range of funds growing rapidly in South Africa and elsewhere, like the Ginz Global Funds that are got some very attractive and interesting funds, you've got to include index funds or tracking funds in your offering to um, to your clients, especially in the uh, in the South African market, where the returns over the last five to seven years have been squeezed fairly dramatically, and hence the costs of index funds becomes very important. Or conversely, the high costs of some of the traditional managed funds are now being exposed very badly as a result of the very, very low returns we've been seeing in the marketplace. So to answer your question, most definitely we do use it. We have our own global index or equity tracking fund, which is just tracks the market. It's cheap offering, and we do include other funds in, 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 in our offering as well. Okay, so you have your own okay, so uh, index trackers. Yes, our Brentus Global Equity Fund, which is about two years old now. It's starting to gain traction now and a track record. We, we created that specifically for South African clients going into the big wide world to make their life easier. You're saying you build, as Lisa referred to, your core. Your core mm. um, of your equity offering would be an, a global index tracking fund, and it'll give you basically the, the, the global index. And then you build your specialist positions um, based on certain strategic uh, decisions that you make. And there we can use index tracking funds, or we also use active funds. You know, very importantly, um, I wasn't aware of it until quite recently, Vanguard, which is one of the biggest, biggest index tracking funds in the world, also runs substantial amounts of money in, in, in an active manner. And some of their funds have done extremely well. And uh, we battle to get access to those funds because they're so popular. So we tend to blend the two. And, and of course, there your your calls have to be accurate or correct to... to um, to, to give you better returns. Thank you, Magnus. We've got a lot of questions coming through, and the first one is from Anne, who says that uh, she's 70 years old and she has funds in the UK which need to be invested. 
Uh, does the panel have advice on passive investing overseas? She's heard of global balanced funds, but how would she know which one would be suitable for a five-year timeline? Um, Magnus, would you like to respond to that? Well, that's where you need an advisor who can, who can first of all, determine a lot of things, including risk uh, profile and, 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 and very important tolerance to risk. And this is an underlooked factor. And I think that's where a good advisor plays a role. And first of all, has to determine those factors before he or she goes and says, well, he has a range of balanced funds that we know and understand, and we know what the fund managers do. And out of that, you will select one or two funds to give you a broad-based exposure to global markets. It depends on a, on a, you know, a lot of questions before you can offer the advice, because the um, if there's ever a problem, it comes down in, in, in back to the advisor and the quality of the advice, and, and that's very important. Thank you. Lisa, do you have anything to add to that? I would also, um, Jackie, I sent you a bit of that S&P study, the SPIVA report, that's till June. So maybe you can just bring that up, and, and then you can see why I would recommend, well, I agree with Magnus, you should have an advisor, but why I would recommend using an index tracker for the solution. So um, there, there was, as you can see on this slide, which you've just put up, is how the passive market has actually grown. So it's almost over the last decade, you've had about $3 trillion flow out of active fund management and flow into index fund management. And now in like April, I think that's 2020, they're almost neck and neck in terms of their market share. So that's, um, and then also, especially after 2008, the financial crisis in the US, you saw a lot more advisors using indexing. So in about, in America, um, Anthony was telling me about 60% of independent financial advisors uses indexing um, uh, as, and their main function is to get the asset allocation, understand the clients and using indexing to get the cheapest option on that asset allocation. So overseas, like on your 401k plans, an iShare or a Vanguard is one of the options in your pension or provident fund. That is what a 401k plan is. So it's very vanilla. It's very mainstream option of investing. Thank you. Let's just take a step back to costs. John wants to know how does he actually understand what the costs are in a passive investment? Um, Magnus, would you like to start? How, where do people begin figuring out what the costs are of investing? Well, all funds have to give you um, a breakdown of their fees. You would look at the total expense ratios and effective costs, and they're all on the fund fact sheets. And uh, they are there, they are very visible today, uh, especially the newer products, you can't hide those things anymore. And that's one of the factors that you do need to look at. What is it going to cost me? And that's where I feel that the South African index tracking funds are, in, in, in my opinion, some of them are still very expensive relative to what you can get on the offshore side. I mean, you, you get index tracking funds and, 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 and solutions packaged to clients at 0.8, 0.9, almost a percent, whereas you can get those things in the on the offshore market, and Lisa knows better, but your Lisa's funds run at 0 0.08, 0 0.09, is that correct, Lisa? I mean, substantially cheaper. Uh, no, we've got a, 
Yeah, we've got the one for fund of fund solutions for clients. It's a nine basis points. T, uh, that's a TR, but you've always got to look at the EAC, which is your effective annual cost or your total okay. investment charge. So uh, some of the, I know some of the costs here, the, the TERs on the index tracking, they're advertising at 35 or 40, but when you do an EAC costing, it's not 35 because there's a platform fee, there's transaction fees. So it's sometimes much more. On our fact sheets, we actually give an EAC which is your effective annual cost, which is your custody, your admin, and the annual management fee, and includes in some respects, uh, if you have a financial advisor, a financial advisor fee. So we do have for big clients or fund of fund solutions for our bigger clients who are using them like what Magnus do, using an index combined with active fund management, which is a core and explore or blended approach. It's a nine basis point TER and the effective um, cost then is 19, but that's for big clients who are using them in their own solutions in their funds. And so there's it depends on the client and the amount of money. So our, our fees on the general, like so the global equity, a total in EAC, which includes your custody, your admin, your annual management fee, and a broker fee. So for, if a financial advisor comes to us, is 60. 70 basis points and that's a total expense ratio or a total, it's actually called a total investment charge or effective annual cost. So what kind of questions should you ask before you put your money into a passive investment fund, Magnus? What are you going to ask about the nature of the particular investment that you're getting into? You've got to understand what you're investing in. Um, you know, if you're investing in an equity index tracking fund, you're going to get in equity kind of returns. And you've got to ask questions, what are the downsides to this investment? What are the average drawdowns? Those are the, those are the finer points uh, that comes out in the consultation process. That's what I'm saying, a lady of 70 or 75, to want to go into a, let's for, say, for example, a, a, a technology index tracking fund just because it's done very well might be very inappropriate and would get you into trouble if you're the advisor who puts a client into a fund just before it corrects by 40 or 50 percent. So you've got to understand the nature of the investment that you're going into. What historically has it done and what can it do in a worst case scenario? Thank you. Shamir wants to know what is the best way to access offshore ETFs in hard currency? you can come directly to us or our funds are also available on various platforms but then you would have to use an advisor to access the fund through platforms you okay. know jackie yeah. everybody yeah. i mean there's so many platforms that offer you direct solutions from um, you know momentum international uh, um, all mutual investing i mean there's a host of, of platforms that offer you that kind of offering um, and you can try and do it yourself, or as you say, you go through a financial advisor who deals with these things on a day to day basis. Okay, thanks. So, somebody's trying to get hold of you urgently, Magnus. Um, Lisa, so Gideon yes. wants to know is the 401k available for South Africans? No, that's an American, that's a, it's your pension fund, it's an American structure, it's not South African. Is there an equivalent? 
Oh, it's your RA. So you, I don't know. It's it's your it's an RA here. So a 401k is a type of provident fund that I actually, when I lived in America and they, when we started the business, that was an option. It's not 401k is not South African. It's American. Thank you. But Magnus is probably better to. Uh, he would probably Magnus would know what's your equivalent of a four. It's uh, probably an IRA as well in the UK. I think it's called uh, Isla. Or, What's the equivalent of it? Um, yes. No, Jack is quite correct. Um, the, the closest would be uh, a retirement annuity, a self-managed um, retirement annuity. Our funds have a slightly more conservative nature, or the guidelines are much more conservative. You've got much greater freedom in a 401k than you have in South Africa, where the RAs are subject to Regulation 28 of the Pensions Act, which in the last couple of years has been a very big anchor or a drag on, on performance. But that's about the closest you will get to um, a 401k. Thank you. Here's a question that comes up often. Richard would like to know, how does a South African resident get access to the Vanguard index trackers without running the risk of CETUS tax? You would have to use the offshore domicile funds equivalent. So you would have to look at the Vanguard tracker that's in Dublin or Ireland. So that's also important. You've got to look at the domicile, which means the home of the fund, where it's incorporated. That's the, actually domicile is a Latin word, and it actually means home, your incorporation. So if you look, the Vanguard funds in the US that you hear of, it's five, six basis points, is mainly for US investors. There's also tax implications on the way they're structured. So you need to always use the offshore version of that particular index tracking firm and fund. So you've got to look at, in the prospectus, which is in your fact sheet, you would have to look at, it would say your domicile or where it's um, registered. It would actually say where it's incorporated registered. So you would have to look at jurisdictions like Dublin, uh, Luxembourg, Mauritius. Those are jurisdictions for those options. Would it be cheaper going for stock Sorry, Magnus, continue. I was just going to add to that that you know that's why you've got the big platforms like Momentum or Mutual or Investec in Guernsey, Isle of Man. They've got all those tracker funds on their platforms, Vanguard, iShares, BlackRock, whatever the case might be. They've done all the homework. So one application, you can choose almost as many uh, funds that you'd like. That takes away a lot of the heartache and the pain of opening up accounts and checking for scientists, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. And what about uh, going for stocks rather than funds? What's your view on that, Magnus? Well, of course, if you bought Tesla at the beginning of the year at $140 and it's now $1,000, you'll, you'll be a bull and say it's an easy market and you're only going to buy single stocks. And a lot of people have made a lot of money in this bull market in the U.S. in technology stocks and Amazon, Apple. And there are investors that say that uh, they like concentrated risk and they would pick five funds or ten funds in a particular theme and they will then follow that closely. But for the average investor who's got a life to live and, 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 and a job and two kids and three dogs, you're going to lose track of your investments and you're going to burn your fingers when the market turns against you. That's for the professionals. You track the markets, and yes, you can make a huge amount of money. But uh, for the average mom and pop who doesn't have the time, 
give it to an index tracking fund where the risk is spread uh, based on the index that you've chosen. Thank you. We've got a number of questions coming through on diversification with Daniel and Wendy asking the same question. What is your advice on uh, asset allocation between property shares, cash, offshore? That's quite a broad diversification. Where would you begin with that? Magnus, would you like to answer that one? Well, that's that's the function of a financial advisor. And a lot of people, and, and there's, no, there's no blueprint for everybody and there are hard and fast rules. And it depends on your personality. We have clients who want to be 100% offshore in equity. And they live with the volatility, but they've also lived with the, um, the upturns. Other people want 50% or 75%. And it depends on so many factors. How leveraged are you? How much debt do you have? What is your personality? Uh, can you live through a bear market which wipes out 50% of your capital? Those are all the uh, questions you've got to go through and have answers in writing to, before you can recommend um, a specific strategy which is compatible with the, the dynamics of the market and also the dynamics of the personality that you're dealing with. Sounds like a very big, complex job. It is indeed. Um, in, in our practice, we use a psychological uh, measurement, phenometrica, which goes into psychometrics to determine, you know, you sometimes have people who walk in with a certain bias about certain investments or they, or they overestimate their ability to, to take risk. And if you analyze their financial situation carefully, you have as an advisor the role to tell them, you cannot take this risk because if this happens, you could wipe out your family's money because you have big leverage somewhere else. And I can tell you now, Jackie, that in the last four years in South Africa, if you look at the crash in the property stocks, for instance, where for 10 years leading up to this crash, there were a lot of people who would say to you, I'm only interested in property stocks because they give 15 to 20% year after year, and they borrowed money against those shares and they've leveraged up those shares and for 10 years they've made fantastic amounts of money and in three four years they've lost 60 to 80 to 90 percent of their capital we saw it with the um donny gordon family in london when i think their investment in i think it's london uh, capital and counties was basically wiped out it's, it's, it's it's, it's gone. So, you know, one has to protect clients sometimes against their overconfidence in markets. Lisa, when people come to you and say, how do I split my assets? Do you put them, point them in the direction of that world index that we were talking about at the beginning? Or how do you advise that they split up between different funds? Well, I would actually... We're not licensed to give financial advice, so we're a product provider. Um, I can give them the funds, I'll show them returns, but I would then actually advise them to use an advisor. So we, we've got a few advisors who support our funds, and then I would actually give them those names. I would say, go to these advisors if you're uncertain on, on your asset allocation or where, where do you want it. We do have clients with the $1,500, that's our minimum, who would then just put into, uh, the, as I said, the most diversified 
fund is that 16 at 1600 shares and it's not just diverse it's also diversified in terms of country so people think the US you know with the election what's coming up now Trump's got COVID him and his wife so the markets had a bit of a jitter today um, you don't want just a US so you don't want just a US bias fund you also get Europe and Asia and in that fund so it, we don't give financial advice we're not licensed to I can guide you in terms of what we offer but I then refer my clients to financial advisors who like our funds, who like indexing, and they would do the asset allocation and the assistance in terms of which fund they should have. Thank you. Helena is following up on Magnus's point that you really need an advisor, and she says that is it possible to have a once-off review of her portfolio at a once-off fee? So perhaps you could just briefly sketch out the different kinds of options that people have to have for them if they want to go to a financial advisor for a, for a thorough review. Yes, of course you can. You can. Um, most most practices will charge you, let's say, uh, five hours of work to analyze your your insurance policies, your investments, your will, your estate planning, and they will charge you a fee based on what they charge. Whether it's three thousand rand an hour or five thousand rand an hour, I don't know what they charge, and they will give you a bill, and that's your that's your business. So um, uh, it's it's quite common. Most people want their funds to be managed over time because markets change all the time. And if you are with a good advisory firm, they will, will hopefully manage it over time. But a lot of lot of firms operate on a fee basis, like a lawyer, like a like an attorney, or whatever the case might be. Thank you. And I sometimes wonder when when some of the questions come through about some of the advice people are getting out there, because Clive wants to know. Uh, with regarding pension provident and RA investments, is it possible for the individual investor to obtain not only detail on the asset classes in which such investments are made, but also detail on the companies, fund percentages, geographies? Um, is there any legal obligation to receive such information? So I'm thinking perhaps he's been put in a fund and he doesn't know where his money is. Uh, Magnus, what was what the, the overview yes, on that? Of course. Um, you know, with, with, with any fund, you, you, you're entitled in terms of the rules of the fund to get a full breakdown of where the funds are invested, what the performances are, the fee structure. Some companies make it very difficult to get hold of this, and they will refer you to the rules, and then the rules will refer you to another set of rules. And then, you know, but you can, if you keep on asking questions, what we do at our practice is we do a full Morningstar analysis of any portfolio, which is a fairly sophisticated software package that we use. If I recommend six funds or 10 funds, this package analyzes to the last cent where your money is, which country, which currency, what the historical returns have been, what the downturns have been, and a host of very sophisticated um, financial metrics that guides us into explaining what the fund is and what it's all about. So you can you can get that information. You just have to ask for it or you pay for it. So if you're not I getting that advice, you have a question about the advisor that you, you that you've been put in touch with, right? You should have access to all that information. Well, if you have an advisor and he's put you into a portfolio and 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 you ask him detailed questions, most advisors are linked to the big platforms. The platforms have got very sophisticated software programs that will give you a breakdown of that particular portfolio in terms of funds, 
asset classes, returns. I mean, I can go into my, uh, for instance, my living annuity with uh, 91. I can check exactly when I started my investment. There's a graph. It gives me my returns. It compares it to the JSC, compares it to uh, inflation. And this is the kind of stuff that all investors who are paying an advisor should do and request at least once a year, maybe once every two years, to find out how are my funds doing. And a lot of clients are to blame themselves for not asking these questions. That information is there. It's it's all it's all in in, in the systems. Lisa, what kind of information do you provide with, to your clients? Well, with the in, with the index tracking, as I said, it's full transparency. So. We actually do for our, client, our existing clients and our big fund of funds, we do a Reg 28 report and they see we actually report 60. So for the MSCI world, the GINS Global, the Global Equity, you see every stock that's held by that fund, the benchmark, 1,600 stocks, the percentage, the weighting, the market cap. It's very transparent with index tracking. There's Thank no you. nothing that's hidden. Pete has a very practical question. He says, what happens from an estate planning perspective to investing in offshore domiciled funds? Uh, he says, assume an investment of half a million rand. Can this be dealt with in your South African last will and testament? Magnus, what's your view on that? Well, the short, the short answer is it is dealt with in your last will and testament. Your worldwide assets are included in your in your um, in, in your assets, it doesn't matter if it's in South Africa or anywhere in the world. So you can have one um, testament in South Africa which deals with all your assets worldwide. But for practical reasons, it makes sense to drop two worlds, one with your local assets and one with your offshore assets. And why I say practical is when you wind up in the state, the master of the Supreme Court in South Africa, once the original will, so now let's say you've got a million or two lying in an account which must go to your children or grandchildren, that money can lie, lie dormant for two to three years while your estate is wound up in South Africa, and only then is the original will sent abroad to have it wound up there, wherever it might be. In our practice, we recommend two, in some cases, three testaments identical but you can then wind up the estate as quickly as possible in the shortest space of time. Thank you. Barbara wants to know, what is the minimum amount she can invest in an ETF? Uh, Lisa, I think you mentioned 1,500 US dollars. Is that right? Yes, because uh, the shares are also priced in dollars, remember, so it's different to South African rand. So to make it worthwhile to get also value for your investment, we recommend through directly through us, $1,500. But if you were going to use our ETFs or index funds through different platforms, the minimums are different. Thanks. Uh, Magnus, is that sound about right? Can you get in for a lower amount? Well, offshore, they are more expensive. Um, some of the platforms take a minimum of $15,000. But in South Africa, you can get access to ETFs for uh, 500 rand a month. So cost should not be uh, a factor should you want to participate in in that part of the investment market. Thank you. Elena wants to know, what do you what do both of you think of the Ashburton Global 1200 ETF? Do you have any knowledge of, of that one? Or in, special insights on that one, Lisa? 
No, it's not something that we track or we don't have um, a comparable fund. So it wouldn't be something that I would look at. No. Agnes, do you look at Ashburton at all? I don't look at Ashburton and, and um, um, I, I know about the fund, but it's Ashburton has never been a fund ma management company that has impressed me greatly. And, and for that reason, we stopped using them a long time ago. I could be wrong. They might have done better, but I know it's primarily marketed through FNB, RMB branches in South Africa, and, and they tend to promote those structures, but I cannot comment on it. Okay, thank you. Um, so, Khamari uh, has a more sort of philosophical question about index tracking and says, to what extent are market index market indexing ETFs a self-fulfilling prophecy? They invest in the performance as of that moment, thus, thus artificially keeping them the performers, or is this not the concern? Um, no, uh, Jackie, must, uh, can you bring up that study just to show you how the indices have performed over various time horizons. So I always say to clients, it's timing the market, not timing the market. And if you go offshore, you've got to have a minimum of three to five years. And if you look at the SPIVA report, the one that just came out now, no, the one I sent, this is not I'll, the, I'll dig it out of yeah, my Okay, that's, that's actually fine. That's fine. If you can just open. You can see here the performance. So you, if you look at a global, that's including U.S., um, over 10 years, I think it's 82%. Yeah, we can. So it might be on a short-term basis. Her question might have validity, but over a long-term, and I normally we advise a client if you're not going to do minimum three to five years, then I wouldn't recommend you to take the investment with us. Um, we also want to do the best for the client, and we know that you've got to have time in the market. Um, so if you look at, say, on the first um, uh, the first row, it says global against the S&P, uh, it's global funds against the S&P Global 1200. That's probably a, uh, against, it's probably what the Ashburton's may be using. Over 10 years, 82% of fund managers are under underperforming the benchmarks. And then five years so you would look at a five to ten years and then just to make a point on that issue is that you don't know ahead of time which active fund manager is going to outperform the benchmark that's the first point the second point is you don't know if it's consistently going to do it so if you've got a three to five year time horizon the first year say your your fund manager x might outperform the benchmark but second year they might not or you could have an issue like they had in the UK last year, it's a very well-known fund manager, and Magnus will have heard of him, Neil Whitford. He was the darling of the UK active fund management, and that fund actually imploded. He took big bets in um, markets that are very uh, unliquid, um, that can't be traded, and that fund has imploded, and it was a £3.6 billion fund. So in terms of... Index tracking, you would avoid those risks of picking a darling that's imploded or picking a fund manager that performs brilliantly one year but doesn't perform brilliantly the second or third year. And then there's also a lot of the funds who don't perform well are also merged together. Um, so those numbers actually would probably be a bit higher. Thank you. Pamela has a follow-up question 
What's the difference between investing in the S&P 500 in South Africa through Satrix or going through Vanguard? What are the pros and cons? Magnus, would you like to pick up on that one? You're essentially investing in the same thing. Um, with, with Satrix, you can invest in RANDs. In South Africa, you, you give your money to Satrix, which is part of Sunlum. They then would have a deal and send the money abroad on your behalf. So there probably will be a difference in the cost, but you're essentially investing in the same instruments, uh, borrowing a couple of cents uh, for the added layer of costs for the um, for the um, exchange the exchange issue. So it's essentially the same thing. Thank you, Lisa. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think it was also look at people always look at the fee. So your, as you said, like the annual management fee of an index tracker, that shouldn't only be your consideration. It should also be the tracking error. So you can have a fee of, say, the, the Vanguard actually tracking error is very good, but just in a philosophical point of view, you could have a fee for an index tracking, say, of 10 basis points, but the tracking error is, is 100. So you can't just look at a fee on that index that makes your choice. It's also got to look at, you've got to look at both. The index tracking, does it track the benchmark as close as possible? And then what is the fee? So those are the two considerations you also need to look at. Thank me. And then I'd also like accessibility. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, continue. No, but also like so that... it... Sorry, sorry, Lisa, carry on. <laughs> we'll take beauty before age, so go ahead, Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened before. Yes, that's that the first time, before. Lisa. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, Magnus is Lisa's hundred percent correct. I mean everybody just goes according to fees and it's the first thing they ask, which is very really oh. difficult to answer. People find up and say, What are your fees? And I say to do what? To make tea, coffee? To look at your uh, your tires, no, you can't. You've got to look at the, or they're, they're much more just than fees. It is important, and especially with the, the old-style traditional investment products still very prevalent in South Africa, fees are absolutely killing the returns. And I've been saying for a long time, if you're older than 55 and you can get your money out of those old-style RAs, provident funds, pension funds, do it because you're not getting any returns. But fees are important, but it's it's part of a bigger discussion. It's fee plus performance plus service plus uh, potential mm -hmm. outcomes, and and that's that's how you build an investment portfolio, not merely on fees. Thank you. I think that's a very important point. Now, as we come to the end of our webinar, we've got one more question from Owen, uh, who wants to invest with a partner, and says, "Can you give your view of joint accounts when investing offshore? So, is that possible, Lisa? How do you?" approach that when people want to invest in a fund together? Is it possible? Yes. So uh, actually uh, internationally you can have a joint account. I don't know in South Africa, I think it's not. You just got to make sure that there is a letter that if something, how, how it's dealt with upon one of your spouse's death and then how you would join a uh, deal with in terms of instruction. So can one, if it's a joint account, do you both have to give instructions to redeem or to invest or is it one person? So we do have joint accounts, but we you, your paperwork will be quite tight on that. 
Agnes, what, Jackie, what you, can, you can have in Guernsey, you're allowed up to four investors mm. onto one account, which is fantastic. We don't have it in South Africa, but we quite often have mom and dad and son and daughter, and it, it just ensures a continuity in case of death of the original investor. And for all our offshore stuff, we, we put on as many um, joint investors as we possibly can, up to four. Does that have an impact on duties, death duties as well, or not? Oh, not at all. It's, as I said, you will be taxed, but it's, it's access to money and continuity of the investment. Otherwise, it's frozen. If it's only one person's name, it comes to, then nobody can transact on the account. Nobody can make changes to the portfolio. Markets can be crashing. And then if you have two or more, they can step in and say, well, I'm now the investor. I would like you to do, ex to, 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 to do something to... Um, in account of the markets, for instance, but uh, we recommend it very strongly once your money goes offshore. Thank you. So before we close off, um, Lisa, thanks very much for joining us again today. I know after the last time you joined us, we had lots of emails from people wanting to know how to invest and so on. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close off about Gins Global? Well, I would also like to actually add in terms of index tracking, passive option, why people should use it when go offshore, it's a, or they should use it as a building block or as a core part of their offshore solution. And as I said in one of the slides, um, you've also got to look at when you invest, what are the key key points that you want to meet? What are your important? What's important to you? Is it risk? I actually call it uh, the rats. It's risk. Um, it is. It's where there's accountability in terms of trans and transparency. So in terms of risk, when you go offshore, you should want to diversify it as much as possible to minimize the risk and the volatility. So I would take a broad perspective in that terms, maybe, and over and above that, if you want an offshore active fund that's um, that's to take a contrarian view, that's not an index, they call it a closet index or index hugger, that's an option. Um, accountability. So for an index tracker, it meets that need because you can see exactly what your fund is aiming to do, you know, in terms of what benchmark it is mandated to, to track. So there's a lot of accountability and transparency on an index, which you necessarily wouldn't necessarily get in an active fund because you don't actually know the full amount of complement of the stocks and you don't actually sometimes know what the actual returns are. So indexing more, I would say, meets more the accountability factor and the risk factor because normally an active fund manager, you could have, what, 50 to 80 stocks or 30 to 50 stocks. In a broad index, you're getting 1,600. So, yes, you might not get the highs if you have a run on one or two of your stocks, but you're not going to get the downside when there's a market correction. So I would definitely... Mo, you know, I would definitely look at using a passive building block as an option to go offshore. Markets overseas are different to markets here. They're more efficient. The construction of the benchmarks are different. It's more market cap. It's not like here at the JSC top 40 where you have four or five companies making up predominantly 40% of your index like NASPERS and 10, those kind of things. You don't have that overseas unless you're taking maybe a NASDAQ which is more, that's why you would use an advisor because that's much more risky and you have your fangs predominantly about 50% of that index. So, um, yeah, I think, and as Warren Buffett, everyone knows Warren Buffett, you might not know 
Uh, other other investing names, maybe you don't know um, Fidelity, there was that Magellan Fund, which was very well known, and Peter Lynch from Agility, uh, from the Magellan Fund, when he left, he actually for 10 years outperformed the S&P 500, and when he retired, that fund no longer outperformed the, the S&P 500, so on a passive fund, you're not taking a risk on picking the wrong manager or when the manager retires, or him or her has a bad day, we are human, we all err, we make mistakes, which happened with Neil Woodford. So I would definitely look at going offshore and definitely look at using a passive as a building block to do so, because you're meeting a lot of your key points of investing, transparency, risk, less volatility, diversification, less um, risk of picking a wrong manager, Consistence, getting cons uh, more div yeah, more diversification. Thank you. And Magnus, before we close off, do you have any points you'd like to make about this topic? Well, I agree with, with Lisa, uh, but we do find some good active managers who have been doing very well for us, both in South Africa and offshore. And some of them are South African fund managers, like um, uh, um, from from '91, Global Franchise has been outperforming the index for a long time. So you do find the guys, you have to go and find them. And as Lisa said, they don't always outperform the index. But sometimes when they do, it makes it worth your while to have put money in, in them because they take a contrarian position, but it does increase the risk of them getting it wrong, like Neil Woodford. So we like the combination of the both. Mm. And we do some, the one thing about tracking funds or index funds is I cannot talk to anybody about the market because the index gives you the index. And sometimes we've done very well by picking up themes from speaking to various fund managers, putting money into their funds before it's reflected in the index. And I can I, I can point to stuff like technology and biotechnology and healthcare long before it became popular. But and only the active managers can early identify those trends. And you can only get that by talking to real people. So there is a place for real people in this industry. Also, a very excellent point you make. Well, thank you very much to both of you for joining us today. Um, and the hundreds of people who came in to listen to your views as well. And, um, yeah, hope you have a good Sorry, weekend. Sorry, can I just make one remark on that? We do actually have a range of ETFs that's more narrow. So they're thematic ETFs. They would probably fit that um, view of Magnus of finding more. So that's they, one's a cloud computing, one is a um, innovative tech, it's, um, it's a, a mega weight, and then one is a well, which is the healthcare. So we do advise sometimes clients to blend those two options with the ETF on the thematics for the broad diversification. And as you said, there is um, managers overseas that outperform, and it's good to have a blended option, more core and explore option. Oh, I can just add to that, Jackie, those, those three funds that Lisa just mentioned are excellent, excellent funds. We've been tracking them for our clients and just about to pull the trigger and put some money into them, but they've done extremely well for their investors. So those are three very, very good funds. We mm -hmm. like them very much. Well, that's good news. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much to both of you for joining us and hopefully we'll chat to you again sometime soon. Thanks for having Thank us you on very the much. show, Bye. Jackie. Have a good weekend. You too. Cheers. Bye.